Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. I realized that I was carrying so much of what wasn't mine. And mm. like through doing therapy, like I realized like, okay, that's not mine. That's not mine. Okay. This is mine. I just kind of like try to sit with myself if I'm like feeling an overwhelming amount of emotion and try to understand like, okay, whose is this? Like, is this mine? Does this need tending to, or should I put this, should I give this back to like its rightful owner? Cause I, I do carry a lot of stuff. Um, and I guess that just comes with like, feeling guilty a lot. Like I hold a lot of guilt for things, feeling guilty about having these negative emotions and feeling depressed and anxious when my life on paper is so wonderful. You know, there's a lot of shame that came with that. And like shame, I always say is like such a pointless emotion and and guilt is such a pointless emotion because you can't do anything with it. It just kind of sits there and festers. There's no real use for it. You know, even anger and sadness, there's like some use for that, but guilt and shame is just a really bad emotion that you got to, you know, get out of your system. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Today, we have Alessia Cara. She is Canadian, but you didn't know that. She was 2018 Grammy winner for Best New Artist. She has her third album coming out, which is called In the Meantime. And she's releasing two songs at once to start off with in honor of the album being rooted in duality. So those two songs kind of represent that. Uh, the songs are Sweet Dream and Shapeshifter. Man, she is a um, a really insightful, deep, thoughtful girl. She's in her mid-20s talking about concepts and realizing concepts that have taken into my later 30s to realize. So, you know, there was a lot of talk about what sourced this album and the things that she went through last year that led her to where she's at. And I think that, you know, at the end of the interview, you'll hear more about it, but just her vulnerability is really endearing. And I think that's why her music resonates with so many. And she writes it all herself too. I mean, it's crazy. I think there's stories about like bathtub writing, but uh, on this album, there was definitely some big songs that came from some of her sleepless nights and some of the discomfort she had in the insomnia and all of the other things, the anxiety, the stuff that so many of us probably experienced in the last year, but she turned it into art, just a really beautiful soul. Very, very vulnerable, very honest, and a damn good singer. So enjoy the interview. How does it feel once you get to that point? Is it almost like so exciting to talk about it? Or is it like, damn, this is the part that I'm like, oh, I got to get through. Like the writing's fun, the album's fun, recording's fun. But then, you know, hours of interviews for, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you have more than one day's worth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely more than one day's worth. I mean, it's in between. I think for me, like I'm, I'm excited when it comes to talking about um, like the full album, especially this one, 
because I don't know, it's just like my favorite thing I've ever made, and I'm excited to to talk about it. I think you know, talking about the music is is my favorite part and like having conversations I guess like answering some of the more generic questions can be a little mundane and redundant but um yeah, yeah. but I don't know like I, I'm, I've been enjoying like talking about this new music especially because you know after the year we've all had it was you know it's kind of nice to just be back doing you know business as usual yeah yeah I'm, I'm sure I mean I even feel like I went to a concert the other night I interviewed a, a girl named Lisa uh, Lindsay Sterling she's a violinist she puts on these really cool shows. And so I went and watched her the other night and I'm like, it's so fun to be out and see people. And then you see all these pictures of concerts happening. And I feel like, or even sporting events, you know, football games starting and stuff like that. And you, you just see it full. And I'm like, people are so eager to get back out there and do things with each other and be outside and, or be in a big public space. And so I think that, um, I think there's going to be a lot of hunger for probably not only just, you know, something new, but then also whenever it comes time to tour, uh, do you guys plan the tour quickly or is it, is that not how it happens? Like album and then wait? Um, well, usually Um, you know, over the last seven years, we've kind of like planned the tour way, way in advance. Like that's typically how tours get planned. But I think Mm. this year, again, just coming out of like the chaos that happened, it's, it's a little bit different this time. We haven't planned anything yet. I think because like now everybody's trying to like book venues and stuff because, you know, everyone was kind of delayed. So it's, it's harder to like get slots and get dates. So it's a little bit more challenging to book tours this year. Um, I haven't, started thinking about it yet well i've started thinking about it but i haven't actually started like booking anything yet so hopefully soon because um yeah it would be nice to to get out there again okay so you said you don't want any of the mundane questions and look i get it like i was a race car driver for a long time and i also hate surface level conversations i find them to be really exhausting so i'm not going to do any of that to you other than ignorance from my part on the music industry and yourself but let me let me go in and i'm gonna like this is going to be kind of a big question but hopefully you'll see where i'm going with this quickly with the question after it so um the question is what do you think the purpose of this human existence is Man, that is an excellent question. I think that is something that I grapple with truly every day. I think that's been like the biggest challenge for me is finding meaning in all of this. Um, but I guess, I guess the purpose to me, um, or like what I've decided it is, is like, you know, we have moments in life, um, big and small, and it's just about applying meaning to it, whatever that is to you, I think. Um, Cause I mean, sometimes I think like, is there any meaning at all? Like maybe we're just here to be here and that's it. But I guess it's like, it's about what meaning you apply to it, you know, and Mm -hmm. maybe what you can leave behind and finding some sort of permanence in the impermanence. Um, Cause you know, the idea of, of uh, impermanence is very scary to me. It's something that I've always been so like fearful of, of the idea of like fleeting life and um, the fact that everything you do here can just like be gone, you know? So mm-hmm. I guess it's just about applying meaning to it. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to cut to the chase so that you understand why I asked such a 
sort of big question, but I also think something that you said right there was very interesting too, um, that I want to ask a question about, but the, but the purpose is, is because whenever I've been asked that question or whenever I've asked my, myself that question, the answer I come up with, or I have come up with years ago was that I think that the purpose of this existence is to experience duality. Mm. And I know that that's the theme of your album, so I was very curious to hear what you thought. And then for you to just talk about what duality then, I guess, what does duality mean to you? That's a theme. Why is, why, why did that come up for you? Yeah, well, I think it was for a few different reasons or in a few different ways. I think first off, um, there's kind of a, a through line or a thread on this project will, where it feels sort of like a point A and a point B. Like the beginning of the album is, you know, my mindset and the place that I was in, you know, in the first half of the year. And then as the the songs, you know, go on and as, you know, the story progresses, um, there's like a point B is sort of where I ended up and where I kind of am now, um, you know, on the second half of that year and the second half of the, the writing process. But also, again, like this year was, or in last year was like super challenging for me in many ways. I was faced with like, um, I guess like death for the first time, somebody really close to me got very ill. And I think that's when I started thinking a lot about the meaning of existence and life and death. And I, you know, just like realized that like nothing and everything matters at the exact same time. And, you know, and that's kind of like where the whole idea of duality came in. And I realized how important it kind of is and how prominent it is in life. You know, like we are made up of duality and and like, it's kind of like, I don't know, like, there's like two sides to one coin in life, you know, and like nothing matters, but at the same time, everything matters in a way. And I still don't even like quite understand what that exactly means or how to navigate that, but that's just kind of the conclusion I've come to. And um, yeah, just duality has been extremely present in my, in my life, but also in my writing process and like looking at pain from two different ways and just looking at life in general from two different Mm. ways. Whenever I experience something and for some reason it usually has to be negative but when I experienced something really hard and difficult and negative, and my last year was a total evolution and, and growth period for, for me as well. And so I'm curious, I know you've talked about it being like coming, this album comes on the heels of so much growth and so much hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I experience the negative, it gives me, pers- it gives me the positive equal and opposite. Like I can, I experienced so much pain and sadness, but I was able to then experience this very simple, blissful joy in a really like basic moment of looking at a tree. So it's like such a bummer, (laughs) but it's like to get the pleasure, you have to experience the pain. But I feel like duality for me kind of expanded. And once it, once one expanded, I realized that there was an equal and opposite sort of reaction on the other side. And what I ended up realizing through that experience of enough times of that negative through different things, whether it be the ways, ways that I felt something that I was thinking, all kinds of stuff is that I was like, holy shit. I'm like, it's part of the same whole, Mm -hmm. which then leads to oneness. And I was like, wow, they feel like, you know, duality to me felt like bad and good, you know, but what I realized is that it's all part of the same whole. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like one can't necessarily exist without the other, or you can't really like look at one thing the same way without the other. I know for me, like I hit some of, you know, the heaviest rock bottoms in the last couple of years and 
like, you know, when you're so not okay, like you hold on to the moments where you are okay so much more, even if they're like, like you said, like little mundane, simple, basic moments that you wouldn't have, you know, looked twice at before suddenly are just so much more important to you. You know, when you, when you experience the other end of that duality of like, you know, just feeling so not okay and not seeing any light at all that when you do find any glimmer of light, again, it's like applying more meaning to it. Like, the same things can happen to us, but at different times in our lives, they mean such different things just because of perspective. You know, you just realize how much it, life really is about perspective. It's all perspective, essentially. I, I, I mean, I think, I think you've nailed it. It's, it's what meaning we attach to something. It's how we decide to see it. It's like, I remember when I was having my saddest of times, I like love going out and walking in the woods and nature and had my dogs with me and my mom and, you know, and she, we'd be out walking and she'd be like, man, it's such a beautiful day. And I didn't notice it at all. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't even notice how beautiful the day was yeah. at all. Um, so what were the, if you're willing to share, what were the things that kind of put you in that, put the, put you in that space? Was it professional? Was it personal? Was it loss? Like what, what, what got you there? Um, it was, I think, a collection of different things. I think, you know, a big chunk of it was um, just suppressing a lot of feelings um, that I, you know, thought I had gotten over, but I was actually just pushing down over the last seven years in my career. I think this very fast paced lifestyle doesn't really allow you to process emotions or process things in a normal way. Um And so I just thought like, oh, wow, like, you know, I I can just get over things and I'm strong and whatever. But what I thought was actually being strong or what I thought was healing was actually just complete suppression and throwing under the rug. Um, And it wasn't until I had like, you know, a complete halt in life until we all experienced that halt and that like complete lack of distraction where I like everything just sort of boiled over. But then also, you know, experiencing somebody really close to me being so close to death and Um, I mean, I've always had like a weird phobia of death, but it wasn't until that I was like faced with that and like was so close to it for the first time that I really went into this spiral of like, okay, what is the meaning of life? I I mean, I attach so much meaning and so much of my identity to my job and what I do for a living, you know? And again, so when I didn't have that, when I didn't have that distraction, I was just like, well, okay, who am I? What's the point Mm -hmm. of anything? you know, how can all these good people just go, you know, and then what happens to us after? Like, I was just in a complete spiral of thought and fear and my phobia turned into like full-blown panic attack and and panic disorder. And, um, you know, I just, I was just like completely just off the rails. It felt like, and yeah, yeah, I, I just completely spiraled. Um, so yeah, it was like, it was a collection of different things, a lot of suppressing, a lot of like going down rabbit holes of thought with no answer. Cause obviously like, you know, there is no real answer to what is the meaning of life and what happens <laughs> after we die. So there, it's not just fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's no way that I could like talk myself down in a, in a logical way. And so I, I lost like the color to life. Cause I was like, well, nothing matters. And like you were saying, sorry to go on a tangent, but no, I love it. That's what, that's what I'm asking for. Cool. Um, well, yeah, you touched on a good point where like, you know, you would go on walks and your mom would be like, oh, like what a beautiful day. I, I remember like people would say that all the time and like in a cerebral, logical, rational way, I knew like 
the right answer would be like, yeah, it is. Right. Like, that's the thing you say. Like, yeah, I guess it's a nice day, but I wouldn't actually really feel it or see it. I would just like respond because that's what you do. You say, yeah, it is or whatever, you know? Right. And it wasn't until like, I really, really like did the proper healing and like went to like therapy and just really like hashed a lot of things out with myself that I was able to actually like enjoy and for the first time in the last few months I've been able to like walk outside and like think to myself like it is a nice day like this is what people were seeing like the blinders are kind of off um and it's not like a black and white thing of course it's not like suddenly the veil has been lifted and life is amazing but you know it's definitely a cyclical thing and I have days where you know that feel a little bit grayer still but I'm able to have those moments now where I understand like what people are talking about about it being a nice day or like enjoying and appreciating moments, you know? Oh my God. I'm sure that is exciting. Cause in a way you're like, Oh my God, I've made progress. Cause sometimes it's freaking hard. Like when it's you, you feel, you know, you're you every day and it's hard to notice changes when you're standing in the middle of it, you know, you're in the forest, but then when you get those breakthroughs where you all of a sudden are like, Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> wow. I get it. So I, a, a theme that, that, that comes up again and again that I'm really curious about is this theme of loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious where that pain comes from. You said you did therapy. So I'm curious if like your therapist is kind of dug into that and try to figure out kind of what it is about loss. That's scary. Is it a, is it an anxious attachment wound? Was there like inconsistent, uh, you know, parenting along the way. Cause you know, I, I have that where I was, have you heard about, um, attachment styles? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was totally anxious attachment where I was afraid of being abandoned and it really was rooted in the fact that it wasn't, my parents were a wonderful, they're still married, but my mom stayed home with me and my dad would go to work and I barely saw him. I don't think I saw him like at all during the week. And I just see him on the weekend. So what a kid learns is that I don't know when dad's coming back. Mm -hmm. I have no rationing skills to go dad's at work. I just know that he's kind of there and not there. And so inconsistent um, uh, appearance of parents is what can cause that abandonment wound. And so that was like one part. I mean, trust me, there was mom part two that processed this past year, but that was the dad part. So I'm wondering if there's an abandonment wound somehow or, or what could have, what drives this, this fear of, of loss. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm the exact same way. Like, I feel like I saw and like heard so much of myself and like everything you just said, just, um, yeah, the dynamic, my family dynamic. I also grew up in like a very strict Italian household. So it was like, you know, dad is very like, there's like not a, a lot of emotional, um, like outpouring there. Dad worked a lot. Mom worked a lot. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of inconsistency. I mean, I grew up in a very lovely, loving household. My parents are still together, thankfully. So, you know, but, and then also throughout the, like along the way, just in school growing up in different relationships that I developed, whether it was in friendships or in my adult life, like romantic relationships, there's a lot of like similar patterns that were being repeated of just like something changing, somebody mm. leaving. And, um, even to this day, like, it's very hard for me to open up to people romantically or in friendships, just because I, I, you know, I just have this fear of them just like leaving, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially in my job and what I do now, it's very hard to be trusting of people um, because I've seen it so many times, you know, just like being used by people or just 
people just completely switching. It's, it's a, it's a very fleeting, you know, like friendships are very fleeting in this business, especially. And it's very hard to weed out, you know, the, the real ones versus, you know, the not real ones. So I feel like it's just been kind of a pattern in my life before and after my career of just like, it's like abandonment thing. I do. I do have that. It was hard for me to admit too. Cause it's like, that sounds so childish. Like, Oh, you didn't abandon me, but it's so true. And like our inner child, well, I'm a lot older than you. So I have that. And I just said it and I'm almost 40. I'm 39. So <laughs> I know, I think it's, I mean, like they say, that's a, one of the first things you learn in therapy. If you do go to therapy is like your inner child still lives inside. Oh yeah. It sounded like such a weird, like campy, strange thing to do to like talk to it and like, you know, nurture it. But I found myself being so emotional doing that. Like I've had sessions where like I've talked to myself as a kid and I didn't know why I would get so emotional about it, but you realize like how much there is that innocent kid in there that just wants to be loved and nurtured and is so scared, you know? Well, Um, you're a cancer. I, so I took a couple levels of astrology. So something in me said, I need to look up your chart to see what is in there. And a lot of things make sense, but first off, you're a cancer, which is yeah. all about the family. It's all, it's the mother, it's the mother sign. Mm-hmm. And so, and you're a ton of Pisces, which is, I get it. Cause my Mercury is in Pisces, which is the way my brain thinks. And mm-hmm. so your Mercury is there, your ascendants there, your Venus and Mars are there. And which is all super airy and flowy and like dreamy. Like, I bet you could sit there and just like, days off for a while. Right. And just think of amazing stories, but that makes sense that you like feel that for your inner child, because like the nature of you is so motherly. So what, I mean, I've done the same thing. Like I remember last year when I was getting more connected to my inner child, I would literally hug myself. I'd literally like go like this and I'd hug myself and I would cry. And I'm like, wow. And so my inner child went from this, like seeing it for the first, seeing her for the first time, like in a concrete dome, like tucked away, no words, no nothing to like, all of a sudden she was kind of down at the bottom of the, of the tower. And she was like at the doorway and she was like, you know, standing up and she was kind of short and she didn't still didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden she came out and now she like walks with me and is like bubbly chatty. And she always tells me, I'm like, what should I be working on? She's like, just play, play. (laughs) Um, But I'm wondering what that dialogue has been like with your inner child and if it's changed. Um, I was like super not in touch with it, like for a a long, long time. Again, it was like, I just kind of got through things by like suppressing and suppressing and just being like, oh, that's not attached to this or that's fine. Like, you know, I just kind of always like pushed it down. And so I feel like there was no dialogue at all. Like I just like pushed her down completely. Um, And yeah, it was just never something that like, I just always thought, you know, like you grow up and life changes and that's it. And you don't realize how much you are affected by things when you're younger and how much that innocence is still in you. Like ultimately, yeah, we're grown up and we have, you know, new views and, you know, new experiences, but ultimately like all we are is just like children and innocent people just that want to be loved and want companionship and want to be understood. And um, so I think the dialogue has changed completely with not only the way I speak to my inner child per se, but just the way I speak to myself now. Um, yes. you know, it, it's it actually, the same thing. I mean, it's essentially the same thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's just a part of you. It's just that innocent part of you. That's just trying to navigate life that, you know, is just trying to understand. And I think for me, weirdly, like I, I got a dog in the pandemic as a lot of us did. I was, you know, got a COVID puppy and it wasn't like, it kind of clicked for me when I would like 
look at her. Even now I look at her and I'm like, look at this like little being, this poor little thing just like relies on me for, you know, like for simple things like food, water, love, like to be nurtured. Like if I neglected this little dog, like she would not survive in the world. Like she relies on me so heavily. And I just thought like, I would never, yeah, yeah. You know, I would, I would like never do anything to harm this little being. But then I was looking at how I treat myself and I'm like, some days like I don't eat because I'd be so depressed. Like I'd be too depressed to eat. I wouldn't feed myself. I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't like, I'd talk to myself horribly. I would do everything that I would never do to this little being that I love so much. And I'm like, Mm. why do I do it to myself then? Like, Mm. why do I deserve the things that like someone else would never deserve, you know? And that's when it really clicked. I'm like, why am I not treating myself with the same care, with the same level of love and patience and, and care? And honestly, that's when it clicked. Like I have to start treating myself as if I were treating like my dog or like a baby, you know, or like someone that I love. Um, Cause we always tend to get the brunt of our, ju- our own judgment, you know, and oftentimes the way that we speak to ourselves, never how we would speak to, to someone we love, you know? So that's honestly when it clicked is when I was started caring for someone else, you know, for this little thing, this little mm-hmm. tiny bundle of love, you know? Yeah. That, that, that absolutely makes sense. Um, another aspect of being a cancer, and I think I heard that you, how, how old are you again? I'm, I turned 25 uh, last month or two months ago now. I think I heard you talking about getting a place uh, of your own. Um, yeah. And that is such a cancer thing to have your space and have everything beautiful and have, you know, it's the nature of cancers to make home. And so yes. I'm wondering how that affected you because I feel like that was probably a really good growth um, decision for you. A hundred thousand percent. Yes. It was so scary at first. Um, just because again, like sitting with myself is not something I've you know, necessarily good at, it can, you know, lead me down a couple rabbit holes. So I was a little bit wary at first of having all this time to myself, but mm-hmm. now it's actually been so nice to have like mm-hmm. a real sense of home. Cause over the last seven years, I've had to like find home in other things that were like not material and not tangible just because I would wake up in a different bed every day. Like that was just my mm-hmm. lifestyle. So it was hard for me to like attach myself to a home or like a sense of home. Um, and I felt sort of lost, you know, over the years, but just having this place to go back to is so wonderful. I get to like decorate it myself and do whatever I want in it and make my own little decisions of like, I'm going to eat this today, or I'm not going to wash the dishes or this is when like, you know, like those little small decisions. Don't worry. I'm not going to show you what it looks like around <laughs> this right now, because like, that's for me, it can yeah. be as bad as I want it to be, <laughs> but you've earned it. That's the thing. It's like, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to do that. Like I've earned this time and this space and like ha- making those little decisions has been so helpful to me. Cause I've just struggled so much with control also and feeling in control of my life and feeling like I have a sense of like, you know, home. Um, so this was, it was such a good thing. And I, I've been enjoying it so much. It's like, having this time and space to myself. It's been really nice. Cause I've pretty much kind of lived with someone like my whole life and I was scared to death of being single. That was part of the abandonment was I like had no idea what it would be like to be alone. Mm -hmm. And then once I got alone, I was like, wow, this is fine. This is dangerous to know I can be alone and it'd be totally fine. But I realized how, like, I thought I would, you know, I wasn't sure how much things I did for someone else versus what I did for me, but I was like, oh yeah, I really do like things kind of tidy. I like to sort of curate the house. I like things. So have you learned stuff about yourself and being in your own space that you're like, 
hmm, I didn't realize I had this pattern in me or this preference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the tidiness. Cause you know, growing up in like in my parents' house, I still kind of live there part-time as well. And for some reason, like I'm so messy over there, <laughs> but then when I'm at my house, I like, I guess maybe it's because it's mine or because like, I just feel like a closeness to it. I'm like, so tidy about it too. Like I hate when things are messy. I get like itchy if like something's out of place or like, you know, if I have people over like the second they leave, I'm like cleaning everything up. Like I don't like for it to be untidy or dirty in any way. Um, which is weird. Cause I always thought I was just such a messy person, but I guess that's only in my childhood house or in places that I guess aren't mine. Um, which I, I feel bad for my mom about. Cause I'm like, she's like, why can't you just be tidy at home too? But I don't know, like something about being in my own space. I'm like, I actually do like to keep it fairly neat, which is not something I expected in myself. Cause I always thought I was just a very messy person. I realized I don't actually like to be in a mess. It's just kind of how I've lived for a while. But now even at my parents, as I try to be more tidy, cause now I know what it's like to have your own home and your own space and like what it takes to take care of a, a space, you know? You've talked about your music being like a mirror and our whole life is a mirror, really. I mean, this is one of the things that I've come to realize. Reality is just mirroring back me. So mm-hmm. if I see something that, you know, I might be judging, it's like, oh, wow, I can look at that and be like, I can see that there's something I'm denying in myself. The fact that it even registers on an emotional level means mm-hmm. that it's in me. Um, the yeah. way that people even just. I mean, I've had to learn about myself through the way that people talk about me just because I do the same. Like I haven't always had the nicest dialogue with myself. And so when people would tell me things, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, after enough time, you go, wow. Okay. I think they're showing me me Mm -hmm. and the kind of people that show up in your life, you go, wow, they are showing me me too, by being the kind of people that they are across the board. Um, So I want, I'm like curious if you've thought, thought more about that and thought about, you know, your life and your reality and what it's showing you. And maybe even things are coming up in your mind now, or, you know, specifically then with your music, which is something you've said is that your, your, your music is kind of like a mirror. And what have you learned from that? Basically, I'm wondering what all your mirrors are. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Um, That's an excellent question. I mean, yeah, well, you know, on the music side of things, of course, like, um, I think, you know, other people seeing themselves in my music has in turn shown me parts of myself and shown me that, you know, a lot of parts that I thought were so foreign and so like, you know, out of this world, not relatable are actually so, so common in everybody else. So I feel like, you know, just having that dialogue with my supporters and listeners has really just shown me that I'm not alone. But then, you know, on a more personal side of things, you know, in my interpersonal relationships, you know, another thing I learned like through getting older is that nobody can like make you feel something, you know, like when you say like, this person made me mad or you made me do this. It's like, no, someone did something and in turn you reacted a certain way that you chose, like you, you chose to react a certain way. And so I always found myself like, you know, over the years, whether it was in romantic relationships or just in people relationships, like I I make myself smaller sometimes for other people. And I always thought it was like, you know, the other person's doing like this person made me feel small, but it's like, no, I allowed myself to feel small. Actually, I made myself smaller to appease somebody else or to not make someone else feel bad. And so you know, all those relationships have shown me parts of myself that I 
like, or like tendencies and patterns that I was doing to myself that I thought other people were doing to me. Um, and so I guess just getting older and learning what I want and don't want has just like allowed me to, I don't know, just, it showed me like what I've allowed in my life and what I've done to myself to appease people. And like this tendency I have to make sure that everybody else is like, okay, before myself. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's been my biggest pattern and my biggest tendency. That's kind of been a pattern in all of my relationships is like, just like shrinking myself, um, for others. And it, it actually had nothing to do with the other person. It was, it was my own thing, I guess. So that's been like a huge mirror for me, um, that I've tried really hard not to do anymore um that I still tend to do but I try not to <laughs> and hard patterns they start when we're young they say that our subconscious programming which operates 95% of our life our conscious mind is 5% of our life and right. that our subconscious mind is programmed from the last trimester before you're born until the first like 6 or maybe 8 years of your life Wow. And I don't know about you, but I actually don't remember much before I was even 10. So <laughs> like, I have no idea what my subconscious programming was when I was a kid. I have these like images, like I don't remember my childhood in video before that age, but I remember sort of snapshot pictures of it. Um, but that's a kind of scary thing, right? To think that there's that much vulnerability at that age, at an age where we can't really ration. It's like, I think about parents these days and how hard it must be to not only is it hard to be a parent, but now if I'm sort of putting it on them, like, by the way, your kid's subconscious programming is done before they even barely have rationing skills. And you're like, uh, uh, so then the question is, is what do you do after that? And how do you, how do you help them navigate out of it? So maybe, maybe just for you, what have you learned that helps you navigate out of it? and helps you cope and helps you to be able to, um, you know, hug your inner child, pay attention to her, stop for a moment and think about how you feel you, how you feel and to, um, you know, just be able to, uh, find, find the good in things. Have you, what are, what are some techniques? I don't know if your therapist has given you any, or if you've developed some, maybe writing is a big one. Yeah, totally. Writing is, is definitely a huge one for me. Um, that's just, it is like a huge coping mechanism. That's just kind of how I process things like seeing something on, on paper, like in a weird placebo -y way, like it allows me to feel like it's out of me. It's out of my system in a sense, mm. like putting it down. Mm. It's like you know, placebo, placebo is 30%. So no matter what, like across the board, placebo effect is about 30% effective. Wow. So really? it's a pretty good default. Yeah, that's, hey, not too bad. So maybe I'm onto something. Um, but yeah, that's a huge one. And I think you touched on something great too, is like how much of it is mine? Like what is mine? And I guess, I don't know if it's a cancer thing or just the way that I was brought up, but I, or I guess the way maybe we all kind of are programmed initially is like to take on the feelings of so many other people. And I think- yeah, that's your Pisces. Yeah. A lot of your Pisces. The, the cancer is a water sign, but your Pisces air, but you, my sister's a Pisces and that girl has some antennas for days. Like she yeah. knows what's yeah. coming before. I mean, I don't even know why I question her anymore, but, um, that's definitely, I think could be very much part of your Pisces, but there are some people that definitely take on people's emotions and that's so heavy and confusing. 
Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, a side note, both my parents are Pisces and my mom has tons in her chart and she is like psychic, like literally she's never wrong. It's scary, scary. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, um, back to like, yeah, that whole thing is like, I realized that I was carrying so much of what wasn't mine. And Mm. like through doing therapy, like I realized like, okay, that's not mine. That's not mine. Okay. This is mine. This is mine. So like, I think now, like, I just kind of like try to sit with myself if I'm like feeling an overwhelming amount of emotion and try to understand like, okay, whose is this? Like, is this mine? Does this need tending to, or should I put this, should I give this back to like its rightful owner? Cause I, I do carry a lot of stuff. Um, and I guess that just comes with like feeling guilty a lot. Like I hold a lot of guilt for things. I, I, I guess I've just been programmed over the years to like, I don't know, just carry a lot of shame and guilt and feel bad for decisions that I've made and stuff. And, um, I'm sure that comes somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. That's I, again, like I, because I have this need to like, please people and make sure that everybody's okay. If I, if I feel like in any way I, I contributed even the smallest amount to someone's pain or to saying no to somebody or hurting someone in any way, like it really, I spiral like at the thought of, of hurting anybody. And because of that, I just carry all this guilt. And then I carry guilt and shame for um, like a huge part of it was like feeling guilty about having these negative emotions and feeling depressed and anxious when my life on paper is so wonderful. You know, there's a lot of shame that came with that. And like shame, I always say is like such a pointless emotion and and guilt is such a pointless emotion because you can't do anything with it. It just kind of sits there and festers. There's no real use for it you know even anger and sadness there's like some use for that but guilt and shame is just a really bad emotion that you gotta you know get out of your system um and like train yourself out of but it's very hard to do um so i find myself carrying it a lot of the time for like reasons really if i'm using my own experience of what my lesson was and what i would do too much of it i was so afraid of being alone and um I I realized that the, I was, and I was so afraid of not being chosen. Mm. And my lesson was I was supposed to be choosing myself. Yeah. So if I use that in this scenario, like the way that you are doing that for other people, the care that you have for other people is what you're supposed to be doing for yourself. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And these people are all just showing you that they're just, they're just showing you, they're your mirror to show you like, you're carrying so much, you're carrying, you're here, they're just showing you this pattern over and over and over again. And really it's like for you to do for yourself. And so your inner child right now is like jumping through damn hula hoops right now. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hi, that's me. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Going back to the same thing that I was saying, it's like, I always thought like, you know, people make me like feel certain ways. They're like, you know, nobody like, gives me the same love that I give them. Like I'm always giving so much to people and they're always so selfish and they don't, you know, give me the same love back or the same courtesy back. And it's like, instead of thinking of it that way, just think of, well, why am I giving so much to them and not enough to myself? Like what these people are doing is giving themselves the love that I should be giving myself. You know, it's not like they should be giving me more love. I should be giving myself more love. So it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. That's another huge mirror for me. It's like, nobody makes you, feel certain ways or like sometimes it's not other people's fault. It's just, you need to readjust the way that you are living and what you're giving to yourself versus what you're giving to others. And like how much of that you want to give to either side, you know? Um, so yeah, it ultimately was like my, my choice and it's not a bad thing to, to 
you know, sometimes like, especially as women, I feel like we put such a negative connotation on being selfish or on, you know, giving love to yourself and, and feeling confident in yourself. I feel like it's almost not allowed. And again, there's so much guilt and shame around doing things for yourself or, or feeling confident in yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like we're supposed to like downplay our accomplishments and downplay compliments and stuff. And um, it's just a way that we've been like taught and raised. And I, I'm trying really consciously nowadays to not do that and to like accept compliments willingly and openly without shutting them down or without like, you know, turning it on its head with like a, a negative thing about myself. Or blowing it off in some way or, yeah, you know, you know I mean? it's so helpful to, picture it like the way that something happens in interaction you picture okay would I ever let them like I'm allowing it for myself which is the bullshit we do to ourselves but I would never allow this for my inner child the same thing comes in the other direction with the compliments it's like try and imagine it being told to your inner child you'd be like hell yeah she's awesome or whatever it is you know that's a good way because it's such a good way to bridge the gap between your higher self or your intuition, your inner child is to, to pretend like it's separate, but, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And it sort of helps to close that gap in your heart between you and you. A hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Totally. I feel like that's been so effective in healing that and healing her and healing me. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. You, um, the two songs. So in, in, in honor of the duality of the album, you have shapeshifter and, um, uh, dream, dream, what's the other one? Sweet dream. And, uh, I love it. And the videos are so cute. You look like you have so much fun with the videos. Uh, so what, I mean, unpack those from, uh, in, in the, in the deep way, in the, in the psychological way, what, what are those two songs about? Yeah. So, um, the first song, um, like on the, the double sided coin is, um, sweet dream which um like i said i mentioned like you know the the thread and sort of the point a and point b and i think this song represents lyrically the the point a um that i was dealing with the first half of last year and kind of the first half of my life i guess um and it's it talks a lot about my insomnia and my you know Mm. relationship to sleep and nighttime or lack thereof for my whole life but more particularly in 2020 um when everything was sort of going on and i was having you know, these crazy bouts of anxiety that turned into full-blown panic attacks. I was, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder and panic disorder, all types of things that, you know, I was like suddenly faced with and that suddenly had a name. And I don't know, it was like a lot to grapple with. And so I guess my insomnia just got 10 times worse. And so this song I wrote over the course of one night slash morning, I guess, um, where I was so frustrated with myself and fed up with the fact that it felt like I was the only person in the world that was awake, which I now know is not the case. Even then I knew that it wasn't the case, especially creatives. I know that we're, you know, awake for a lot of the time, but I was just so frustrated um, and, and like scared to be alone. I remember I had to ask like family members or my friends to come in and sleep over. Cause it got to the point where I was just terrified to be by myself. That's how bad my panic attacks got it was a really low point. I just felt really helpless and like childish and like, like, why do I just need all this assistance? Like I felt so out of control. Um, so psychologically there's a lot going on. It's actually a very psychological song based on like a real thing that was happening to my mental health. And I, I, I wrapped it in some sort of, you know, fun paper. I made it, you know, sound very fun and light and I juxtaposed a lot of the, the darker themes with some humorous lyrics, but it's actually about a really serious scary time for me and a really low point where I was like 
just very lost and out of control. It felt like. I, I'm so sorry. Um, like sleep. I mean, just last night <laughs> I got a bad night's sleep and I'm a pretty damn good sleeper. <laughs> and I was like, I I'm training for a marathon. So I wear this watch. And so I wear it at night to see what my recharge has been. And it recharged from like 17 to 41 out of a hundred. And I'm like, well, I guess it's a rest day for me. And so sleep. And that was me getting six hours and 45 minutes of sleep Oh my God. with no, no deep sleep though. And so the deep sleep is, to, is the restful part for your body. Mm-hmm. And the REM apparently is the restfulness for your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I experienced last year for the first time too, and I'm so grateful, especially having this contrast, um, contrasting experience experience is that I haven't ever had anxiety. And so for me, when someone talks about anxiety, it's like, have you had anxiety? And they're like, well, you know, I get stressed. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like an orgasm. You know, if you've had anxiety or not, (laughs) because it's like, it's it. And what I experienced, I, I think I only had it like three times and it was this inescapable loop of like frantic mind, paranoia, thoughts that just kept looping. And I couldn't choose a good thought. I literally couldn't choose a good thought. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And then the body reacts and it's a really um, scary thing. And you don't know how long they're going to go on for. And luckily it was only a few times and for a short amount. And, you know, I'm still not sure if they were all mine or someone else's. Um, because I don't usually take on people's energy, which is also a really freaking valuable thing, um, which makes it even more important for someone like you to probably have some time alone and some space to be able to reorient. So, you know, where you start and end, and then you can really decipher when you're taking someone else's energy on. Um, but, but anxiety is such a, such a horrible thing. And has there been anything that's helped that? Um, I mean, tons of things. I think for me, it's like, a bunch of little things. It's not, it hasn't just been one thing. I think I just need a whole plan of things. Unfortunately, I'm just always going to need to be somebody who has like a whole list of things that I do to collectively create some sort of change. But I think like the mental aspect of it and like rationalizing it in a way has been extremely helpful because for so long, I, I always saw it as you know, my brain and my body being against me in a sense, like, why is it turning against me? I felt like something was wrong with me. Um, you know, there's all those things that, that go through your head because you just feel like, well, this isn't me. You know, it almost feels like there's like a third you that's like doing this and you know that it's not you, but you still can't rationalize it. And so I think getting to like the history of why it happens and realizing that it's actually your body trying to help you in a sense has really helped me not feel crazy. Like going back to like the biological reasons why it happens, which I feel like it's not talked about, you know, as much as I, you know, um, would use as much as you'd think it would be talked about, um, you know, like the reasons it happens, like the fight or flight response and the fact that panic is just, uh, like a defense mechanism and a, and a, you know, like a way to protect yourself from fear. It was actually like from danger, I guess it was actually yeah. like going back to not to get too like, you know, anthro like talk too much about anthropology, Go for it. you know, like I think the, the history of why it happens is like our body needed anxiety and panic in that flight or flight, fight or flight response to protect ourselves from danger. Like back in the days when we were like cavemen, like surrounded by lions tigers and bears or whatever, we needed that fear response as a way to survive, you know, as a way to sense fear, hide from the predator, you know, understand 
like to, to set like your, your mind needed to separate itself from, from your body so that you could be like hyper aware of your surroundings so that you could be safe. It was a way to protect yourself. But obviously, you know, we've since evolved. We don't, you know, we no longer no live. more lions, no more lions, tigers, <laughs> no more bears. Cougars. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, well, there's cougars, just not that kind. <laughs> yeah. It's a different type of thing. We don't really need to protect ourselves from those or maybe sometimes, but you know, so it's, it's a very different thing, but our, our bodies and our, our brains can't decipher that our brains and bodies don't know that we've evolved and that there's no such thing as that anymore. Like it, you know, it's almost like, I like to almost see it as like a, a hard drive that's not been updated or a computer that has this, like, that needs an update and you keep like pressing like save for later you know so it's like a, it's like a hard drive that's not updated but it still happens in in like a way to protect us but i think now our lions tigers and bears are different fears it's like you know yeah. comparison fear of rejection fear of abandonment it's different types of fears and so those things can be triggered by different things mm-hmm. um and because there's no physical danger in front of us our, our like our brains don't know that our brain still sends a bit of fear and think, okay, we got to protect ourselves from the lion. Like let's completely separate ourselves. So that's what was happening to my, to my body, but I wasn't mm. realizing it. So suddenly yeah. I would just wake up one day and feel completely disconnected. I felt like I was dreaming. I felt like I was living in a fishbowl. I would look in the mirror and feel like I wasn't like my reflection wasn't my own. My hands weren't my own. I wasn't recognizing my friends and family. It was petrifying, but I wasn't realizing that my brain was sensing some sort of danger and was doing this to help me um except the danger for me were other types of more modern day fears and anxiety and once i started to heal those you know my body started you know connecting with itself again and i was able to um stop that from happening so now when you know when i start to feel it i start to realize okay what's going on what triggered this what is this like imaginary lion or, or bear in my mind and how can i like tell my body that it's okay. And I think, it's you know, you're doing like breathing. crazy and sad that our bodies feel it for our minds, isn't it? It's like, yes. it's so helpful, <laughs> but it's also so frustrating. I've had these times where all of a sudden my stomach, like I can't eat something will happen. I'm physically manifesting where I'm going to be as a result of something coming, but I don't know what's coming yet. And I'm like, this is just like, it's like being on? surrounded and I'm like, but where are the assassins, you know? Um, is there any feeling in you that this challenge is part of your creativity? Um, I think so. I think now I'm able to use it almost like a tool and sort of harness it and um, use it for good. And like I said, you know, like it, it is my weird placebo way of, um, feeling like I can get things out of my system when they're on paper or like in a more audibly tangible way. So getting in front of it in that way has been really helpful um, in feeling like I have control over it or feeling empowered by it in a sense. Um, and again, like that's kind of just the the meaning that I choose to apply to my life is like maybe I go through these things so that I can put them on paper and hold a mirror up to other people. Like maybe that's the point for me to be here, you know? And even mm-hmm. if that's not true, I... I like to tell myself that because it, it, it's what helps me go through life and helps me, you know, feel like it's worth it in some way. Cause it's very easy for me to spiral into a very melancholic state where I feel like nothing matters. So that's my way of feeling like, okay, maybe this is the point, or this is the point that I'm choosing to give to it, you know? Um, although it sometimes just feels completely pointless other times. It's like it's when, perception. When yeah, exactly. A hundred percent perception. Okay. So then the last, the last question I'll ask then, because I know you need to go, um, but you've talked about your writing, not really having an intention and that, that you just 
kind of put it down. Have you realized, because you've just said a couple of things that may indicate it, have you realized a certain style pattern or really essentially a message with your creativity? Um, I think so. I think in hindsight, um, I, I guess like I've always just valued openness and honesty and finding power and strength in vulnerability and in like darkness, I guess. Um, and just like, I don't know, like, I guess the message would just be, yeah, that like things aren't always okay. And for the most part, at least for me, they're mostly not okay. <laughs> there is like power in that. And there is like strength in, in that openness and, and honesty, I guess. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people have coined certain phrases for me or certain titles for me. I was like, you know, you're like, we look to you for positivity and you write anthems of positivity. And it's like, I, I don't always look at it that way. I think I, I write from, you know, a lot of melancholic perspectives with no solutions. Like a lot of my songs don't have like a positive solution at the end. But again, I think there's like strength in that. There's strength in like not having answers sometimes and so much comfort in just um, like commonalities, um, more so than there is strength in solutions, I think. Just like strength in numbers is more valuable to me than, than strength in like an answer or in... Mm. in problem solving. Um, cause when I was going through my darkest times, all I wanted to do was find someone who was going through the same thing to like, tell me I wasn't crazy. I, I didn't even care at that point of like getting out of it. I just wanted someone to be with me being like, you know, I understand you when you're not going crazy. You know, that was more valuable to me than like healing at that point. That's how bad it was. So that's kind of where I find my, my strength and like showing people that, you know, they're, they're not alone and they're not crazy. And there's somebody in their boat too, you know? Well, it's one of the foundations of the blue zones of the world, which is where people live the longest is community. And I don't think, and so in community you have connection and it isn't possible. I don't think to have connection unless you have vulnerability mm -hmm. because it's only in that vulnerability that you create that connection with people. And so I guess, thank you for, you know, for me, for so many people that listen to your music and your vulnerability creates a connection and then creates a community. So you're doing it. Your community's so big. Don't you worry. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. This yeah, was an you're awesome, welcome. Awesome conversation. I oh yeah. It was really good. Thank you for being so open and congrats on your new album. It's amazing. And the videos are amazing. And um, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm a fan of the podcast too. I love listening to it. So Mm -hmm. awesome your conversation you. with jordan peterson was spectacular oh god he's brilliant right yeah he really is yeah he's yeah. Really cool thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today i hope you enjoyed it if you like what you heard today and you want to hear more please click on the subscribe button